covering uh, what these are, um, the different uh, features of a biblical prayer of lament, uh, what they contain, kind of what their format is, um, and why they're important, why they're important for us to, to understand and to pray. Uh, we'll also be um, working through the importance of corporate prayers of lament, like what that is, what that looks like, why that's important, um, and I think both in, in prayer and in song. So uh, many of you probably saw the email Pastor Doug sent out. We'll be singing uh, a song that, that in the coming weeks that kind of incorporates some of these ideas, um, something that, that probably we don't spend enough time on uh, generally, or the church often, often overlooks uh, the church generally. Um, and uh, some of that can be kind of even just like our culture. Um, we are, uh, Tracy mentioned this morning, often we are expected to or, or have an idea of we, we need to make sure that we put on this front that everything's okay. And sometimes things aren't okay. And uh, when things aren't okay, uh, the answer isn't to just like kind of knuckle up and, and put on a, a show. Um, but what we see in the Bible is something different. What we see in the Bible is, a, is a, a true crying out to the Lord in a prayer of lament. And so, um, so we're going to talk about, about that. We're going to, um, uh, I also want to add in addition, and maybe even this morning, um, over the next few weeks, things will be a little bit more personal, perhaps, just kind of by the nature of what we're talking about. A prayer of lament can be uh, uh, difficulties or a bit more personal. Um, so I'll ask for your patience and grace as we work through that. Um, and at the end of each class, we'll conclude with like a corporate prayer of lament. Uh, we may be asking a few of you that are interested to uh, write one and then come and pray that at the end of uh, a future class. So I hope, I hope that actually is exciting. Like I hope that that is something you lean into or something that you would desire to do, uh, both to grow in uh, your understanding uh, of lament and your your practice of lament, and then help to lead others uh, in a prayer of uh, lament as well. All right, so before we get started, uh, I, wanna, I do want to ask just how many of you have ever written out or, or prayed what you consider like a prayer of lament? Um, lament is, is a prayer, uh, it's defined by one author, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is a prayer of uh, when you are going through something difficult. And we're going to talk about more about what it is exactly. Um, I hadn't either. So I didn't see. I did. You did. Okay. So there's one. There's, right? And that's good. That's good. And, and I, I think hopefully by the end of this, we see the value and importance of it, but like also the biblical practice of it. It's all over the Psalms. Um, uh, one author like, attributed about a third of the Psalms contain at least a portion of a prayer of lament, which is a lot. Uh, and I, don't, I, don't, I didn't fact check that number, but I don't doubt it because they're all over the Psalms. Um, yeah, and, and, then, and then like I said, defining a prayer of lament, um, a, a, a prayer of lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So a, a, a prayer to the Lord from a place of pain, but it leads to trust in the Lord, not a prayer that is just left in despair. Um, and I think, I think 
all of those aspects are going to be important. So, like, turning to God, praying in pain, asking for help, and then trusting in the Lord. And we're going to talk through those, like, four aspects as the weeks go on. Um, and we'll be able to hopefully then identify uh, the different portions of prayers of lament in the different psalms or different books that we, that we look at. But I hope we, 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 we are equipped then as a church to be able to um, maybe more fervently pray this. Um, to start us out this morning, uh, I want to share a little bit about my own experience with uh, kind of working through this topic and how the Lord has guided me uh, into digging into this over the last 15 months or so. Um, so last year when we left Shanghai, many of you know, we left under some really difficult circumstances. Um, in mid-March through mid-June of 2022, uh, it's a, a period of time that will kind of forever, that kind of forever changed our family. Um, trying to relate what happened when we were locked in our apartment in Shanghai. Uh, lockdown doesn't seem to quite adequately, adequately describe our kind of our collective situation. Um, we had difficulty getting food and water. Didn't matter how much money we had. We just, we couldn't get it. Um, shortage of supplies, um, kind of just a day after day after day in our apartment. Uh, endless COVID tests seemed to wear us down. Um, but nothing uh, prepared us for May 20th. Um, three days before our return flight home was scheduled to leave, uh, we just we sat there in our apartment in kind of disbelief. Uh, Allison wasn't feeling well, so we took an at-home COVID test, and we'll never forget like the horror of seeing that second red line show up on, on the cartridge. Um, at that time last year, if you got COVID when you were in China, the world turned into a nightmare. We were watching YouTube videos of this happening to other people, not thinking it would happen to us. Um, so even ignoring the, the health conditions that can happen with COVID, you know, we, we know and we've seen people that have had really, really hard health conditions. Just the um, getting COVID in China meant you were forced into a government isolation um, often these were large open warehouses with cots that were in cubicles. Uh, there was no showers. The lights stayed on 24-7. You were there with nobody who spoke English. Uh, the food was terrible. Um, so typically, uh, that is where they would put you. And you were there until you tested negative multiple days in a row. Um, that was kind of like the, the, the... That's what we were looking at, kind of down the barrel of the gun there. And... Um, on top of that, Allison was 13, and we had seen and knew of true, credible reports of children being separated from their families, um, which was something I told her would for sure not happen. But I was like lying through my teeth. I, I, there's no way I could control that. Like I, I, I told her that, but I didn't believe that. Like I, we were kind of at the mercy of of what the government was going to do to us. Um, that was our biggest fear, and we still have a hard time thinking about that day. Um, that night, uh, I slept about an hour, and it was during that time we were tempted to despair, uh, to question God why this was happening. Um, I, I remember just laying in bed crying, like not knowing what to do. 
uh, feeling completely unprepared to cope with the situation and unequipped to, to cry out to the Lord in this. Just kind of just sat there like felt empty. And, um, and I think that's, that was certainly, I would say, the worst day of our life. And, um, and at that time, I feel like looking back, I didn't have this category of the prayer of lament firmly established in my mind. I'd studied it before, I'd written the papers about it before, but I didn't experience it. And um, up until that point, I don't think something that bad had happened uh, to, any of, to, to, to any of our family. Um, and so um, looking back over the last 15 months, this has been something that I feel the Lord has kindly and gently shepherded us through and has been a, a help um, and a grace from God. And so I, I think this is a good time now uh, before we face these kind of life-altering circumstances or tragedies to look at a biblical prayer of lament, equip ourselves for something in the future, um, knowing that we, we, we have a good God who has given this to us and has has given us a, a way, a mechanism to cry out to him and to help us in our times of need. Um, all right, so as we start looking at prayers of lament, I want to do something a little bit unconventional this morning. Uh, we're we're going to look at an example of someone in the Bible lamenting and and not necessarily even praying in the passage. We, he doesn't speak in the passage, but we see through his actions uh, both the, the, the despair, the, the grief, and then the trust. And I want to take us through that, uh, and then in the future weeks, we're going to get to some, we're going to focus in on specific portions or specific features of prayers of lament, as we work through various psalms, and then we'll work through uh, Lamentations, a whole book on lament. But this morning, we're going to start out in Genesis 50. So if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and actually open up to Genesis chapter 49. We're going to start at verse 28, and we're going to read through the rest of, uh, the, rest of the book. Um, so Genesis chapter 49, verse 28. All right, so this is coming right at the end of the end of Jacob's life. Jacob has just sat down uh, his sons. He's pronounced some sort of uh, blessing over each one of them, um, some better than others, and uh, and then we, we see kind of the end here. So starting in, in verse twenty eight, it says this: All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is, uh, that is the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, uh, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, 
There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. There I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought, bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And Egyptians and the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb I have hewn out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with uh, him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there, with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel-Mizraim, which uh, it is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had uh, commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the, of the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, which Abraham uh, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke to them. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children also of Meshir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. All right, well, in the passage this morning, um, we see the conclusion of the book of Genesis and the end of the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons. 
uh, and, it, and it sets up what, what will come in Exodus. Uh, in this scripture, we see an example of, of lament in action. Uh, and from it, we can see a pattern of biblical response to, to tragedy. Um, I, I like to kind of do this when I go through a passage. Uh, the main idea for this passage uh, is something like this. Uh, Even in the worst of circumstances, cry out to God who has planned your eternal good. Uh, even, in, even in the worst of our circumstances, we are to cry out to God who has planned our eternal good. Um, I think this text is broken up kind of into two main sections. Um, we see in the, in the first portion through, first, through verse 14, we see Joseph is lamenting his predicament. Um, and then in the second portion, verses 15 through the end, we see that Joseph is leaning on God's providence. And both of those, both of those kind of bookend our prayers of lament. Um, and I, and I, I believe we see, we see Joseph kind of practicing or, or modeling for us um, someone who is, is lamenting well. Um, all right, so the first portion, Joseph is, is lamenting his predicament. Um, over the, over the, the last few chapters of Genesis, Jacob is nearing the end of his life. I call Joseph's Joseph and the, and the brothers to him, he pronounces a word of a prophetic blessing over them. Um, and then he makes Joseph promise to bury him uh, in the land that Abraham purchased for that very purpose. Um, and, then, and then Jacob dies. Uh, so in verse 1, it states that Joseph fell on his, uh, on his father's face, and he wept, and he kissed him. Well, here we see Joseph kind of expressing that uh, that grief or that remorse, uh, that sorrow uh, over death here. Uh, I, imagine, I imagine this uh, sorrow was magnified probably even more by the many years that they spent apart. Uh, Joseph, you know, had gone through a really difficult life, probably more than many in Scripture. Joseph had reason to lament. Uh, and now, as his father's dying, doubtless he's thinking of the years that were stolen from him and, and, and the the years of life with his father that could have been lived. Um, and, and that probably only added to his grief and to his remorse. Um, and he's crying out in pain here. Like we, we know what this feels like. Right? We know what it's like when a loved one dies. Even one that's super old, like Joseph, that maybe it was expected, it's still difficult and it's still hard. And he's, he, he falls down on his face, he's crying, he's weeping, and he kisses him. Uh, Joseph then begins to prepare to honor his father in his death. It says the embalmer spent 40 days uh, preparing the body. Um, we don't know for certain everything that was involved here, um, but we do. Uh, it, this was in Egypt, so perhaps this was some sort of mummification process. We don't know for sure, but it, either way, it doesn't really matter. He's trying to deal with the body uh, honorably. Uh, and then it says that the Egyptians wept over him for 70 days. Um, so likely, uh, likely this 70-day period was mandated by Pharaoh. So likely, uh, this was something that was that was um, uh, kind of top-down driven. Um, but we do know from like extra biblical sources that when a Pharaoh would die, the country was to mourn for 72 days. So 70 days is a long time, and 70 days is like close to what they would even mourn for a Pharaoh. And I think that speaks to kind of just the, the, 
almost the respect and position that Joseph has and like by proxy that Jacob then it has because he's Joseph's father. Um, and, and, and how much kind of respect Joseph has in, in Egypt. And, and this is further demonstrated as we kind of work through the passage. So uh, Joseph approaches Pharaoh. He asks for permission to go out and bury his father in Canaan, um, same cave that the forefathers are buried in. Um, and Joseph promised his father that he would do this for him, and now he's promising Pharaoh he'll return when he, when he goes out and buries him. Um, not only does Pharaoh allow him to do this, but, but look down at exactly who attends the funeral in this procession. So uh, look at verse 7. The servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and the elders in the land of Egypt. Like, these, are, these are important officials. Uh, and then look at who else goes. Like Verse 8, of course, like the household of Jacob goes. That's not really a surprise. But in verse 9, they're given a military es- escort. Um, this, is, this is a significant and grand funeral, uh, funeral event, something, something worthy of a man of great honor. Um, so interestingly enough, kind of an aside, uh, I think this is a bit of a foreshadow, like a pre-exodus, if you will. So Joseph is asking Pharaoh to let him go, and then when he goes, he heads toward Canaan, and he's followed by chariots and mil- military personnel. Um, and, and we kind of see this kind of foreshadow of what will happen in the Exodus. But here, it's not to lead his people out of Egypt permanently, but it's to honor his father and express their collective lament, their collective grief. Uh, Joseph goes to great lengths to express his grief, his lament, and his respect for his father. He's crying out in pain. Uh, the rest of the country is there expressing their remorse with him. Um, and then, in fact, the onlookers see this, and they name the place Abel Mizraim, which literally means Egypt mourns. The, the lament, the mourning, was, was noticeable by those around, and they call, it, they call it the place Egypt mourns. There's great grief and sorrow expressed in this passage. So I think just for a moment, kind of scan down through here and look at how many times in this passage it mentions either weeping or mourning, or lamenting. Like, it's, it's all over this passage. Nine times there's different uh, expressions of grief in these few verses. The, this emotion dominates this first portion of the passage, and, and this is, I think this is an emotion, this death of an elder family member, that's something that most of us can relate to, have related to, or will relate to. Um, I know for, for me, like thinking back to the spring of 2000, um,
Yes. Yep. Sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, so get a phone call. My grandfather is, has passed away. And I, I remember just the, the, the emotion of uncontrollable grief. We'd been grieving his death for five years. Like, it had, it had been coming. We knew it was happening. I had a lot of opportunities to see him, uh, interact with him, love him during that time, even get my picture with him at my wedding. So there was a lot of joy uh, leading up to that, even as we were starting knowing this process. But when it happened, uh, the grief just was overwhelming. I dropped the phone and just started bawling. Like it was um, the first time I had experienced that sort of pain. And I think that's something that, that we can relate to. Um, perhaps you can relate to this. If we, if we live long enough, we'll all experience this in one way or the other. We're, we read in Scripture, in Genesis 3, that sin entered the world, and, and the wages of sin is death. We live in this world now with grief and with pain, a world that's scarred by sorrow, and, and we know this pain really well. So the question we should be asking, and the question I hope you're asking right now is then, like, what do we do with this pain, or how do we deal with this pain? Like, what, is, what is the way in which we, we should cope with this? Uh, I was listening to an interview with a British singer-songwriter last month on how he deals with these emotions. Um, this dude's not a Christian, um, and his answers, while they're understandable, they're, they're, they, leave, they leave you feeling a bit empty. Uh, he recently experienced the, the tragic loss of a friend, and um, he's released kind of an album in the, in the wake of that, and uh, singing about the pain and the sorrow in different songs, but... He said, in particular, he closes his eyes and tries just to imagine his friend there with him still. And um, it makes for a good song. It's understandable, even, in some ways. Um, we can relate to that, but is that all there is? Us to just kind of look back in our mind's eye and imagine the person still with us or imagine what life was like. Um, I think God has something better for us as Christians than that. Um, he has better tools even available for us now and an eternal hope that we have that's different. Joseph, in this text, he takes Jacob's body to Canaan. That's important. Like Canaan was God's promise to his people. That's where he, that's where he buries him. That's where Israel belongs. Like Jacob, Israel. And, and, and in that, he's seeing the future rest that God has promised to his people. God explicitly told Abraham that this would be his land and that he would be their God. The, 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 the lament and the cry of Joseph is heard and, and the faith of Joseph is first then expressed here as uh, his faith in God is expressed here as he takes him there for his burial. I think it's the same for us. God has promised his people that he will dwell with them in a future rest forever. Uh, in Revelation 20, we're told that the Lord Jesus will return and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes and sin and death will be no more. Uh, for all who have repented of sin and trusted in Christ will, will dwell with him in perfect harmony. 
It's, it's comforting to us. It's good news. Uh, that doesn't make our circumstances any less painful. That doesn't mean our feelings are going to magically go away. We're human. We feel things. I think that's good to consider, remembering that the Lord Jesus himself wept at the loss of a friend. I think um, in the past, and I know certain people have made me feel this way, that as a Christian, you shouldn't really uh, be kind of uncontrollably mournful or, or your, your, your feelings should, should almost be suppressed because uh, you have future hope in, in Christ or, or, or something like that. And I, I don't think that's quite biblical. What, what we see in Scripture is something different. We see Jesus crying, but then we see many examples of God's people expressing grief and despair. And, and yet here, even in that, God shows his kindness to us again. He's given us a mechanism to express our grief. Um, kind of as we, as we start thinking about that, let's flip, let's flip over um, to Psalm 13. And I do want to go through this r- briefly this morning and kind of hit the high points. Um, even as we're looking at this in light of Joseph, um, here we see a, a prayer of lament, something that we see all over the Psalms. And I want to read a few verses, and we'll talk through it a little bit. Starting in verse 1, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Here, uh, the psalmist turns to God in his time of grief and cries out to him, expressing pain and asking really like hard and difficult questions. It's like, God, are you here? Like, why is this happening? Why, why is this happening to me? How long must I endure this? Have, have you been there? Like, is, is that a place where you have been? This is this is real and raw emotion, and God is inviting us to cry out to him in this way. We turn to God, we express our grief. It's not something we try and suppress, but something that we, that we express. Now, he doesn't stop there. He goes to ask for relief from God, starting in verse 3. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my, fo- lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Does this seem, do, do this first few verses seem like too bold to you? Does it seem like almost irreverent? I, I think we can be tempted to think that somebody's saying, how long, are you forgetting me? Or, or answer me, O Lord my God. But David doesn't shrink back from this, and this is the way that he's expressing his grief to God. He's boldly asking this of God because, first of all, he knows that God hears him. Second, he knows that God cares for him. And third, he knows that God is mighty and powerful to save. I think this is our posture in lament. We cry out in grief, and we boldly ask from the Lord. And then finally, like Joseph at, at the end of chapter 50, what we'll see, the psalmist expresses his faith in the Lord. Uh, look at verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Uh, in our grief, like this is the way. Express and give voice to your pain. 
boldly ask for big things from the Lord, and then trust that he loves you and does indeed deal bountifully with you. This is different than just crying out in despair and not knowing where to go. This feels different than kind of where I was on May 20th. This is, this is a, a, a prayer in pain leading to trusting God. Well, Genesis 50, Joseph has fallen down in tears and in pain he's cried out. And then through his actions, he's begun to express faith in the Lord. And if there's any doubt that this is the case, what we read in verses 15 through 26, kind of uh, uh, close the book on that. Here he leans on God's providence. So picking back up in verse 15, we start to see some of the fallout and the aftermath following Jacob's funeral. So verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So his brothers are, are running scared, and for good reason, right? They were nasty to him. Um, previous chapters, we saw what they did to him. They beat him, they threw him in a pit, they were intending to kill him, then they sold him into slavery, lied to their dad about what happened to him. Uh, they treated him with real hatred and real disgust, and they know it. And now they're thinking, this may be, this may be our time, to, this may be our comeuppance here. It says, when they saw their father was dead, I think that simply means when they kind of recognized the full weight of the reality of the situation. They saw what was happening, um, and they knew Joseph was in charge, right? Like, they were in Egypt. Joseph was the man there. Um, and, and now they're thinking maybe Joseph hadn't exacted revenge on them yet because he was, he was restrained by their father, who was still alive. But now that the, their father was gone, perhaps they've lost their security blanket and it would be open season on them. Uh, fortunately for them, this is not how Joseph responds. This is not his heart posture. Uh, he has done nothing but express kindness to them. He's, he's provided them food in the famine. He brought them to Egypt. He embraced them. Uh, he's, you know, kind of protected them with his extravagance of wealth and uh, the power of Egypt. Um, he could have, at any point, ordered their demise, but instead... He's ordered their care. And now we see that this was not an act for his father, but it was a genuine heart response from Joseph. So his brothers come in humility, and they fall before him, and then they fabricate this tale that Joseph says, your dad said you should forgive us for being evil. And, like, that's garbage. Like, he didn't... This is something likely they're just making up. Um, And yet, even in this, we see a hint of perhaps repentance or, or at least the start of it, they almost like admit that their actions were evil. Um, and, and in that, we see that Joseph has already forgiven them. So look at, at verse 19. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, for am I in the place of God? All right, so Joseph's acted out of genuine love, but he recognizes that it's not for him to respond as if he were in charge. It's not for him to exact revenge, to right the wrongs that were done to him, to take vengeance on these wicked men. Through all the story, uh, time and time again, Joseph has shown trust in God. Even as he's lamented difficult circumstances, even as he's cried out to God in pain, this has led him to trust the Lord. So looking at his actions, he was sold into slavery, but he trusted the Lord and he prospered. When he was thrown into jail for uh, lies, uh, he trusted God, and God remembered him and comforted him. 
And then even through the, the difficult and trying events in Egypt during the famine, it is his trust and devotion to God that propelled him through. And now, when he has the power and potential to turn the tables on his wicked brothers, he steps aside and trusts in the God of providence. Now, what we have in the next verse is maybe one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Um, look at verse 20. It says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there. There is a lot there in those verses, and we're not going to get into all that today. Um, I, I, that's... Uh, so good and so comforting. But I think the biggest thing for us to take away from this as we look at Joseph and his lamenting is that it has, it has been cries of grief that has led to, led to him trusting in God. He has experienced hardship and difficulty uh, throughout his whole life and now has experienced kind of the end of his father's life. And even in that, even in in that it has led him to trust in the Lord, to trust that God has done this for good, that God took all of these circumstances and he meant it for good. All that God does is providentially good for those who love him. We know this from Romans 8. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know the good there in that verse is conforming us to the likeness of Christ. We know that he has our eternal good in view. Even when we don't understand why things are happening or why, why difficulties are arising, we don't understand why people are doing things to us or why circumstances have, had, circumstances have driven us to uh, this place of lament. We can trust that God has meant it for your good in some way that we may not see even in this lifetime, we can trust that God has meant it for our good. Joseph here brings us out. He um, gives us this verse, which has a lot of good theology in it, but at, at the core, it is a trusting God. So even seeing his grief and then seeing his response is a model, is a pattern for us as we think through prayers of lament and as we talk through different features of prayers of lament in the future, um, seeing uh, this lived out in the life of this man is helpful for us. Now, you may be mistreated, you may be sinned against, you may have a legitimate gripe like Joseph, um, and likely at many times you cry out to God and lament. You may feel like you're being treated unjustly and it drives you crazy. I know our family felt this way. We did not understand why things were happening and unfolding the way they were. Um, but the truth still applies. Like, even when others act against you with evil intention, God is still sovereign over it all. God is still providentially working for our good. Uh, even as we're crying out to him in pain and lament, God is listening with a heart that's inclined toward you and your eternal good. We may not ever, like Joseph, be able to look back on the circumstances and fully understand why these things happen. Joseph is seeing people saved physically in Egypt because of all of the actions that have led up to this. Joseph can look through his lament and see 
God working. We might not be able to always see that in this life, why things happen the way they do. But we can look back on these pages of Scripture and see a faithful, loving God that's behind it all and trust, and, and have that lead us to trust in these God, this God. Joseph can utter these words, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, and, and we can't help but look forward to one of Israel's future sons that has endured injustice at the hands of evil men, right? We, we see on the pages of the New Testament that Jesus came for this very reason. From eternity past, God planned and purposed that Jesus, God himself, would come to us that he came to save sinful mankind, born as a baby, living a perfect life and obeying God's law. And in bigger ways than Joseph, he was loyal and honest and just. Jesus had compassion on the weak and the hungry, saving many, physically saving many through his compassionate deeds. We see, like Joseph, he, he showed mercy to those who didn't deserve it and acted in grace to those who would reject him. And then, at the hands of evil men, he was mistreated, he was murdered. Those who hated him and despised him had seemingly won. They meant it for evil. They planned it. They executed the Son of God. But what was meant for evil, God meant for good. It was on the cross that Jesus bore the wrath of God, the just payment for our sin. And then it was on the cross that Jesus himself cried out to the Father, citing a well-known prayer of lament. Like Psalm 22. Jesus, on, on, on Jesus there, the punishment was placed so that all would, who would turn from their sin and place their faith in him would, would find new life. The Lord has the long game in view. He has our good in view. So like Joseph, Jesus could say, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be saved. That's my prayer for all of us. As we walk through uh, this life, we'll encounter difficulty. Um, evil people might act against us. Certainly all of us are going to have the opportunity to lament. Uh, we'll be tempted to despair. Um, but my prayer is that we continually turn to the Lord in this, that we turn to him and cry out in our grief, that we turn to him and ask boldly for him to intervene and that we turn to him in trust and in faith, knowing that he has our good in view. Um, as we begin to look back on prayers of lament together, uh, I want us to keep this example in our minds. More than uh, most people in Scripture, Joseph had the opportunity to cry out to God and lament. And we see through his actions that he did this in faith, uh, ultimately trusting in the God behind it all. Uh, in the weeks to come, we'll systematically unpack each of these features of the prayer of lament, and I pray that this is a help to you as it has been to me over this past year. I want to conclude our time this morning by leading us uh, in a corporate prayer of lament together. Um, let's pray. O oh Lord, Almighty Father, maker of heaven and earth, the one true and holy God. Lord, we lift up our voice to you, asking you how long we must endure. The difficulties of this life often feel unbearable or unfair, unable to be handled. 
And God, we feel the crushing weight of this world and we're struck with grief. We see death all around us. We know that this is what waits for us as well. How long must we endure when it feels like we are forgotten? How many nights are we to weep and cry? How many times will unexpected tragedy strike? And God, how many more May 20th will I need to endure? How long will it keep going? It does not feel like we have the strength. God, I ask you to intervene and help by your divine power and in your divine will. I ask that you step in and act, that you set things right, that you prevent our abusers from mistreating us more, from striking out against us. God, I pray that you show your mercy and your grace toward your children lifting up our spirit and lighting up our eyes. And God, give us the strength to keep going and provide us with the courage that can only come from you. Father, we trust that you are a good and righteous God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We trust in you, and indeed our hearts will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. All right. Um, In the coming weeks, we're going to be going through this. Uh, There's a a resource, a book, that has been really helpful for me uh, over the last several weeks. It's a book by an author named Mark Vrogop. Um, It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, This has been all about prayers of lament. Um, if you'd like, uh, I can send you a link. Uh, you can't have this one, but um, I would recommend it. And, uh, and as we go through this, hopefully that's a help to you as well.